I'm Crystal Keating, and this is the Johnny and Friends Ministry Podcast. Each week, we're bringing you real conversations about disability and finding hope through hardship and sharing practical ways that you can include people living with disability in your church and community. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts or find us at johnnyandfriends.org slash podcast. In celebration of Down Syndrome Awareness Month, Stephanie Hubach is joining us on the podcast today to talk about the joys and challenges of parenting adults living with disability. Stephanie Hubach is the author of the newly released 31-day devotional, Parenting and Disabilities, Abiding in God's Presence. She's also a researcher in disability ministries and mother to an adult son with Down Syndrome. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Thank you, Crystal. It's really great to be here. Thanks a lot for the honor of doing this. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm so excited to talk to you. I'd love to hear about you and your family, Stephanie. You have two sons, Fred and Tim, and Tim lives with Down syndrome, right? That's right. So yes, our oldest son, Fred, who we often call Freddie because he's the ninth of all the Freds in the family. Oh my goodness. Because your husband's Fred also, right? So many, yes. So many Freds. Fred and Freddie. Okay. But Freddie is uh, almost 32 and he's married to Cecilia and they live in Washington, D.C. and have a daughter, Caroline. So You're a grandma? Yes, obsessed grandparents. So we say we're (laughs) over the moon for Caroline June, right? Oh, that's so cute. (laughs) Love it. Uncle Tim lives at home with us still. So Tim is going to be 30 in January. He has his own apartment in our house, which works out really well. He has two different jobs, works at a local grocery store. So his nickname is Cartman, right? And so okay. he also works at a medical office as an office assistant one morning a week on top of the five nights a week at the grocery store. Wonderful. He also loves to play music, he likes to cook, and he creates cooking videos that I post on my Facebook page. So if you're ever looking for a great recipe, look up Chef Tim. (laughs) Oh, I'd love to see those. That's so fun. What are some of his specialties? Oh, you know, the recipes are relatively simple. So my absolute favorite is when he did uh, one called Hunka Hunka Meatball. (laughs) (laughs) What is that to do? I love it. Well, you know, let's talk about you as a mother. What have been some of your highest joys and greatest challenges raising a son with Down syndrome all the way to adulthood? I mean, he's nearly 30. How has that been for you? Um, It's been an amazing experience. You know, I mean, it is a paradigm shifting experience to have a child with disabilities, especially if you had no real exposure to disabilities up to that point. And God has just used him as just an amazing blessing in our lives as a family and in my life individually. For me, one of the greatest joys has been learning to see the world through Tim's eyes. He's a very insightful person, even as a child. He often makes me look at things from what I describe as a 90 degree angle from where I would have seen it otherwise. A head turner, right? (laughs) Really has this amazing way of, of just seeing the world through a different lens and expressing it differently in a way that is very attention-getting and, and that God really uses. His authentic faith, he has a very authentic faith in Christ and, and a genuine commitment to prayer. He puts me to shame. He is exquisitely sensitive to the needs of others, and he, he'll pray for people till his food gets cold over his dinner. One other thing, just as a parent, really, in terms of joy, has been watching him discover his gifts and grow in his faith and and live out his 
God-given purpose as an image bearer. In a sense, it's what you want for every child, right? And so Tim may really have, uh, for example, the best work ethic of any human being I've ever had. And and I guess every day when I drive him to work, he says, let's say the words. And this is me, he's going to say this. Let's go and get those customers, customer service for the glory of God, right? So that's, that's his work, his work mantra, right? Before he gets there. The greatest struggles, sometimes there's great joys come out of great struggles, right? So one of the ways in terms of challenges, one of the ways Tim came up with this mantra from work is having to learn that he actually was there to serve customers and not to just collect and hoard carts, right? Mm. <laughs> so so there were some challenging aspects at work, right? In terms of really understanding oh, no, 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 your job isn't really to collect carts. It's to serve customers because he was at one point blockading all of the shopping carts with trash cans so that people wouldn't take them because he knew he was supposed to collect them and he could not understand why these people just kept taking them. Yes, like (laughs) you're undoing my job. Hello. Right. And here's where this affects me as a parent is a challenge in a good way is, first of all, just having to learn to slow down. You can hear from me talking. I'm a fast talker. I'm just a lot of energy, right? <laughs> and so one of the challenges of having a child with an intellectual disability is that we kind of tease that Tim has no hurry gene. He's kind of got a speed and we have all learned to just have to adapt to that speed. And then sometimes it's easier and sometimes it's harder. And that includes everything from walking along Tim at the same speed, talking to Tim at a speed. And that, that's an example where you know miscommunication happened with the carts, right? Just trying to communicate a job without really understanding, wow, how is a very literal person going to understand the role of this job? And I'd say in exchange for that, right? In exchange for having to slow down, God gives great gifts to people for having slowed down. Everything from perspective to appreciating things you might might not notice in a hurry to more patience, right? I say that the other key thing, I think, in terms of a challenge, at least for me personally, and I think this is probably true for a lot of parents, is just the dine unto self. For all, parenting is a dine unto self, right? In order to be a good parent, you have to die unto self. My educational background was originally in economics. Economists always talk about this thing called opportunity cost, which means uh-huh. to do one thing is to not do another, right. right? And, you know, it's always applied to things like spending money or spending time. But the time and energy it takes to order your life around the needs of a person who has greater needs, it just requires a dying unto self. And the good news about that is that while our human resources are limited, God's resources aren't limited. I think that's one of the things I've learned by faith over the years, that he's not limited with what we do. God has a way of making us more like Christ through Mm -hmm. the significant relationships in our life. And I think there's been multiple guests on our podcast who talk about the shift of how their time is spent once Mm -hmm. disability enters their life. And Mm -hmm. I think it's very refining because you start to go, okay, what is really important? If we have to slow down, then how do we make the most of our time? And I'm really interested in your son. I mean, even just him praying so long mm-hmm. for his friends that his food gets cold. What are ways that you've seen him bless others through his disability? Mm-hmm. 
many people with Down syndrome have what, and I used the word earlier, what has been described as exquisitively sensitive mm-hmm. personalities. So people that are very in tune with the emotional, psychological state of people that they are around. So Tim, for example, he's just very intuitive, really picks up on sorrow, anxiety, hurt feelings, anger in other people. And the great thing about the ways God has wired him is he's not afraid to step into those things then. If he senses someone is hurt, he moves towards them. Not So many typical people, somebody is hurt or angry, we do what? We move away, right? And Tim has a way of moving in. You know, that's just one of the ways that he really blesses people. I've taken him to hospital visitations before and just been stunned by his sensitivity at the bedside to somebody who's in very difficult straits, you know, that might just make somebody else freeze, you know, and Tim moves in and leans in and connects with the person as well in the process. Right. Because when we're in pain or when we're very anxious, slow, compassionate presence is very, very calming. It's very comforting. It's a sense of God's presence with us when you have someone like Tim. And it's yes. disarming too, I think, which is which is great. Well, you know, as your son grows older, what are some of the significant changes you've seen in his life? And how has your role as a mother changed through the years? If there are parents out here listening who have younger kids with Downs, I want to encourage you. <laughs> That sometimes kids with Down syndrome, when they're, say, under the age of 12 in particular, can be a very high energy, whirling dervish of activity that's difficult to direct at sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. And we had a lot of medical drama early on. So there was a lot of that sense of relentlessness on that level, right? Just on activity level when Tim was in, say, his younger years in elementary school. But by the time he hit puberty, he really did start to center. Mm -hmm. And I've seen that with a lot of adults with Downs, that they tend to center some of the resistance that's more common in behavioral issues and stuff. And their younger seems to resolve itself more. It's not that it's non-existent, but right, the maturity sets in. Well, and that changes your um, role even as a parent. Exactly. In your position and how much time it's, you're investing and he's becoming more independent. and So he's become a much more self-motivated person. So when he was younger, it took a lot more active direction and coaxing, right? And sort of mental gymnastics at all times to try to figure out how are we going to navigate this next thing? And then now it's how do I relate to him as an adult where we're actually having a discussion and doing some interactive decision making? I think we tried to really have a mutually respectful relationship with our children throughout their lives. But that that shifts more and more and more. For example, when Tim was little and very difficult to direct, I might have said, we're going to the bank. Do you want to get in the passenger seat of the car or the driver's side passenger seat? All <laughs> right, you know, like There's one thing we're doing and you get a choice about something else, but not going. Right, you get a choice about the door. You don't get a choice about whether going to the yeah. bank. But now it would be more like, we're going to the bank. Would you like to go to the bank with me? Or do you want to stay home by yourself? If you stay home by yourself, what are the couple things you need to remember? Do you hear the, mm-hmm. the shift, the respect shift there mm-hmm. as an adult to adult? And I think that's the biggest potential danger with adults with intellectual disabilities is to not treat them like adults. It's a bit of a dance because they still need more help than a typical adult does. And yet you want to provide it in as respectful a way as possible. Right. So... 
Well, and I've heard yeah. the principle of treating someone according to their age is really important, especially when interacting with adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Would you say that's pretty much in alignment? Right. I think years ago, there was this thought about mental age, right? And and that's where people would say, oh, well, his skill level is like a five-year-old, so I'm going to treat him like a five-year-old, mm-hmm. right? And be like, no, the person might have a skill level that's like a five-year-old, and I may have to adapt my information to that skill level, but I'm still going to treat them like a 30-year-old. Well, you know, let's talk about families as a whole living mm-hmm. with disability. One of the issues that we hear time and again is just the isolation families feel mm-hmm. and face, either being misunderstood or not having access to the same kind of community. So how can parents of adults and children with disabilities avoid becoming isolated? Do you think some of it all hinges on our mindset? Not only our mindset, but isolation can be from a mindset and it can be from a physical reality and it can be from both, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because right, so, I spent some time with a, my cousin this weekend who has an mm-hmm. adult son with autism. And she said very bluntly, I did not want to inflict my son on everyone else. Mm-hmm. She's like, I knew that wasn't the right thinking, but that's how I was feeling when he was young and there were behaviors that were really hard, even going to the yeah. store. So you just yeah. naturally want to stay home to mm-hmm. protect your child. You protect yourself. Even her mindset really was, I don't want people to feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. They knew they couldn't sustain that. Mm-hmm. As families, we can be all about educating other people not to treat our child as other. And yet in practice, sometimes we actually live our lives like we actually are other. And I think when we, in our own minds, stay connected with the idea of difference of degree rather than my life is totally different than anybody I know, right? Even though there may be a lot of differences of degree, it still leaves room then for other people to find a handhold of connection with us. And I think the other thing too is just it, and this is hard because a lot of times what parents are really struggling with is just a lack of energy, right? And and in the uh, post-COVID, yep. yeah, post-COVID, mid-COVID, wherever we are right now, right? Everybody's tired of missing connection and trying to make new connection. But I think in the end, we still have to choose connection. And, and I think that requires uh, being vulnerable. And yes. I mean, when you're talking, kind of what I'm thinking is, you know, there's a level of hardship and suffering in all of our lives. It doesn't make disability all the same. That's not what I'm saying. But that, you know, the Bible even normalizes that we are in a fallen Mm -hmm. world and there are hardships that we all experience. And when we start talking about it, we all need similar things. We need connection. We need comfort. We need encouragement. We need strength. We need friendships. We need grace. We need mercy. We need help. We need fun. We need, you know... Just this right. sense of openness, but we have to start there and and kind of let down those walls, which is scary. Yeah, yeah, but that is, you know, if you've read any of Andy Crouch's work, it, his whole idea is that flourishing takes place at this intersection between both our capacity for meaningful action to act on our lives, right, and our exposure to meaningful risk to be vulnerable. And flourishing takes place in both those things right there, not just one, right, not just the ability to act. And and that's where I think we don't think correctly about this at times because we'll think, 
oh, if I only I had more control, for example, right? Yeah. If, I, if I had more control over my circumstances, like, no, actually the vulnerability, it's required in order to move down a pathway of flourishing. So I actually talk about that more in my book, same like different better if somebody wants to look at that. But I think if you think about biblically, the whole idea of hospitality, right? Mm-hmm. Hospital, it's yes. always on us to be hospitable to the other, right? And sometimes we're in family affected by disability. We so want other people to be hospitable to us that we forget. We also share a responsibility to do the same. And we find often if we move towards people, even with the small amount of energy, even in a tiny way, it could be a cup of coffee instead of a whole dinner, right? We're not talking like fine China here. We're just talking about connection. We choose connection even in a small way. It, 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 it always ends up reaping blessings for both parties. So I do think I'm not I'm not in any way minimizing the isolation. I get it. Oh, yeah. I do believe it's real and I believe COVID has made it really harder. That said, we all still have to choose connection, choose to be faithful to God's call to hospitality. Yes. Right. Towards agreed. others. And it goes from there. You know, Jennifer Hill was on the program. She lives with C P and she talked about kind of loneliness being sort of a hunger. When we're hungry, mm. hunger leads us to go get food. And similarly, you know, we, there's an ache in all of us for connection. Mm-hmm. How do we move past the fear and and move toward connection? I mean, and, and I love that. It doesn't have to be a whole meal, just coffee. Just start small. So, Do you know what? That's a great analogy too. If you go too long without eating, you're going to eat things that aren't good for you. Good for the junk food. Yeah, because you're just desperate. Like you just do a full-on binge and then you feel terrible. It's it's almost actually a certain amount of discipline to not allowing yourself to get isolated. Yes. And and I know that's not easy. And I'm not saying that in any way. Yeah. You know, yeah, neither of us are. But I do think it does still involve some level of being proactive. So in your experience, what are some of the greatest needs of adults who live with intellectual and developmental disabilities, and how are you seeing the church meet some of these needs? Well, if you start with the first one, which I think is every person's greatest need, every person's greatest need is to know Christ personally, to experience the grace that he provides in salvation, to be a recipient of the blessings of being part of the body of Christ and to have God-given purpose in life, right? Yes. You know, and so making the gospel accessible is really at the heart of what every church needs to be focusing on for every person. Mm-hmm. Every person, regardless of ability or disability or whatever combination thereof they experience, right, has a need for Jesus. And so I say that's that's by far the greatest need. So if we neglect making our churches accessible to people with disabilities, particularly people with intellectual disabilities, that they can not only hear the gospel, but understand it, not only hear stories about Jesus, be introduced to him in, in a form of discipleship. That's number one in my mind. Number two, then, is it comes a very natural outgrowth of that, then when you're part of the body of Christ, right, is is friendship. Again, that's just that what's funny about disability ministry in general, as I always tell people, it's not rocket science, right? Well, that's I mean, good to hear. It's all different, but it's all the same, right? And again, it's different applications of the same basic needs. It's a need for friendship. And so what it takes to... to uh, facilitate friendship with people with intellectual disabilities is just a, some vulnerability on the part of the, of the typical person who's wanting to get out of their uncomfort zone. Yeah. And if the person, the intellectual disability has a passion for SpongeBob, then 
going to learn about SpongeBob. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, it has to come with an attitude of humility of like, who is my friend? What is he or she like? And how do we interact? And how can I learn to connect with them? And then basic things, obviously, like transportation. You can't, right? You can't go out to breakfast with someone and fun things like that if they don't have a ride, right? And so being sensitive to what some of the background noise is, right? In that person's life of what kind of supports have to happen in order for things that we do almost instinctively in typical circles, right? Without thinking about it because we just hop in the car. In terms of at our church, I think places, I've seen a lot of friendships really flourish, with people taking other people shopping or going out on breakfast dates or inviting them over for the holidays because they know their family's out of town, right? Which is, again, all typical. All Doing typical life things, together. Right? Doing life together. Positive sense of expectancy. If we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times, especially with people with intellectual disabilities, we have typical people suffer with a sense of low expectations. And instead of looking at people with intellectual disabilities as people that we can learn from, you know, and enjoy the people that have gifts to share, right? Sometimes we will just look at people with intellectual disabilities as consumers of our care. And that's a very disrespectful way to look at another person because every human being has both needs and gifts, right? Every human being has great value and also degrees of brokenness, right? Everybody. And so anyway, so looking at people with intellectual disabilities with a positive sense of expectancy and expecting, honestly, to be surprised sometimes about the ways in which God meets us through that person and the ways in which their gifts might be packaged. Well, I'm sure you and your husband are thinking about Mm long-term care for Tim. And Mm -hmm. I know many parents write to us in anticipation of the future. So how do you manage those emotions and what are some of the important steps parents should take as they prepare for their children's future? The emotions can be all over the map sometimes, right? Yes. <laughs> we talk about how frequently we discuss this, right? And and it goes all over the place from a, sometimes a sense of anxiety or angst to other times to almost a complacency. I don't want to think about this, right? To other times where you just want to run away to the other side of the world on the sailboat and land on an island with an unlimited supply of sunscreen lotion and little <laughs> umbrellas, right? <laughs> yeah, because it can be so overwhelming. And it's like, yes. Lord, what's the answer? And I'll tell you, my son, Freddie, has been so helpful in this a couple in a couple of different ways. Freddie's a very insightful person. And he said, you know, Mom and Dad, he said, you would never plan my life, right? So you really don't ever want to plan Tim's either. He said, that said, you need to prepare for it. And not just financially, right? But in but in every way. So how do you prepare Tim for the time in life when you will not be here or we would be less able to, to participate in his life? Just that little phrase, you wouldn't plan for it, but you need to prepare for it has been really helpful. It's something you do with the person with the disability, not just do for them. One of the things we've been doing recently has been taking an online class. And so it actually helps to launch adults with intellectual disabilities into a higher level of independence. And I think one of the the struggles in this whole area is that we have somehow this idea that people with intellectual disabilities ultimately should be autonomous and completely independent. And I don't think that's really a biblical concept to start with. I think really what we're all called to is appropriate boundaries with Mm -hmm. interdependence. Mm -hmm. And so interdependent living is a whole lot easier to plan for than some kind of autonomous independence and a whole lot healthier. And that requires something of the community around you. 
Exactly. Exactly. So one of the things we're working on right now is this terminology is not new, but the, we're trying to put it into practice for our family and see if, how we can help other people just practice it in theirs if it works <laughs> as well. Is this this idea of a circle of support? So giving Tim basically the choice of a group of people around him that, first of all, he chooses and that he yes. enjoys and respects, right? And that can provide appropriate input into his life as we make decisions about little things and big things. We were in the middle of of forming a group through some close friends of the family, some personal friends of Tim's from school, some people from church. What would happen then was even if Tim always lives in the apartment in our house, that's not necessarily a bad thing. What difference really does it make, right? If he's in an apartment right next to the grocery store, an apartment in our house, as long as he has transportation to get there from here, right? But for example, if you have a group like that and forbid that Fred and I would get hit by a Mack truck, but if we did, it's not just Freddie and Washington somehow trying to help scramble right. to pull the pieces together for Tim in, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, but it's his, his church and his friends are already around him intentionally, and they already know all these things about him, about what makes him tick, about what he likes, about what he needs, about what he can do, about what he can't do. Right? No, so this is, this we, is so yeah. big, and, and I think... You know, even for parents to begin thinking, who is in my child's life right now? Who are our good family friends? Who knows us? Who really cares? Who loves us? How do we start developing preparation for what's ahead? And I think God honors that. Any of those emotions that we ping around in always just need to take us back to Christ and to to that God has got this. You know, um, it doesn't mean we can sit down and do nothing, but it's, it's that whole idea of ask, seek, knock, and then he will open the right doors at the right time. And a lot of times in ways we can't even imagine in our own finite. So it involves our engagement, but ultimately the needs are met by his hand. Well, that's a good, hopeful note to end on. And thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Stephanie, if our listeners want to pick up a copy of your devotional, Parenting and Disabilities, Abiding in God's Presence, where can they buy your book? They can get it on Amazon, ChristianBook.com, PNR Books, and also EngagingDisability.org. Such a pleasure to speak with you, and I so appreciate your time. God bless you and your family, Stephanie. Hey, thanks so much, Crystal. Take care. Thank you for listening today. If you've been inspired, please send me a message or leave a five-star review on your favorite app. That's a great way to help other people find encouragement from these conversations. And to get our next episode automatically, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Crystal Keating, and thank you for listening to the Johnny and Friends Ministry Podcast.